Welcome to this episode of Litigation Briefs, Media Shorts on Law and Courts. I'm Scott Dodson, a distinguished professor of law at UC Hastings College of the Law and the director of the Center for Litigation and Courts, which produces this series. Some of the most important civil lawsuits have been to enforce and vindicate civil rights. Brown versus Board of Education, for example, the famous desegregation case was a civil lawsuit. So was Obergefell, which established the right of same-sex couples to marry. Is advancing civil rights a goal of our civil litigation system? And if so, how does the system do so? Here to help me with these questions is my guest, Suzette Malvo, Moses Lasky Professor of Law at the University of Colorado School of Law and the director of the Byron R. White Center for the Study of American Constitutional Law. Suzette, welcome to the show. Great, thank you. It's good to be here. Is our civil litigation system designed to advance civil rights? So, great question, uh, Scott. If, can I call you Scott on the show? Or are we of going course. by professor? Okay. <laughs> so, um, it's a great question, and honestly, the answer is yes and no. Uh, so if we think about, and I'm going to talk about the federal uh, civil litigation system versus, well, we're not talking criminal, and I'm not actually talking about state courts either. I'm really sort of in the world of federal courts. But if we think about the federal courts um, and the role that they've played in civil rights has been really varied. Um, the rulemakers themselves, right, the folks who decided what are the litigation rules, um, the federal rules of civil procedure were designed in 1938, and those rulemakers put together a set of rules that were supposed to make it easy to have access to the courts. Um, it, they were supposed to help you have your a decision made on the merits, right? There are certain values behind those rules. And, um, and the idea was the court system is to equalize the playing field, right? So many of us come from different backgrounds, have different resources. Um, some folks are wealthy, more powerful. And so a lot of people... Um, are trying to use that core system. And it's meant to give voice to those who need to resolve their disputes. And um, and so it sort of equalizes the playing field. Um, unfortunately, we also know that it doesn't always work like that, right? Um, there are lots of barriers to accessing the court. So do people know what their rights are? Um, just sort of education. Do they have the resources to pursue that? Can they even afford a lawyer, right? So um, so many disputes do take place in the state courts, right? I'm 95% of them are things like that in small claims court um, because they're incredible disparities, right? So just getting access to the courts where uh, we know the federal courts have played an important role at times in terms of looking out for minorities, looking out for those who need protection. Um, and the federal courts have sort of swooped in and been that um, salve, have been that uh, place of refuge for people who are looking to protect their civil rights. Um, particularly, we think about the 1960s when um, a lot of African-Americans uh, were getting brutalized in the South and all over the country because of opposition to desegregation efforts, right? Following Brown and the federal courts were a place where they could seek safety. Um, not always the courts, unfortunately, or the federal courts are not always um, a friend. Uh, and it's, it's just one tool, 
right? The civil litigation is just one tool in an arsenal of things that have to be done in order to make sure that our civil rights are protected and enforced and enhanced. So we still need very much so, and it's always been like this, we need legislation, we need education, we need activism, right? We need organizing, uh, we need the arts and culture. None of those really transformative moments in our history have come through the courts alone, clearly. So let's put those courts in the larger ecosystem that you just mm. finished up with. How does the litigation system and the and the civil courts, how do they advance civil rights? So I think the, the litigation system itself, and it is a place that um, in some ways it's unique to our, I would say somewhat unique to our country, the United States, in that uh, individuals are using the civil litigation system to enforce some pretty important substantive rights, right? We have agencies that are out there that play a role. Um, the equal, uh, the, the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission is an example of that. But depending on the administration, sometimes those agencies are underfunded, um, underutilized, right? And so we have statutes that enable people to use the court system and rely on people, right? Private individuals to use the court system to promote some pretty important substantive rights and objectives. Um, the court system itself is 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 a is a public good, right? It's that you have a right to it. Sort of, we think about um, the Constitution, right? It gives us our right to due process, right? That's what Fourteenth Amendment of the Constitution, and we often say we have this right to our day in court, right? The proverbial right to your day in court, and. Uh, and that's and that's true to some extent, right? And so the court is a public place where um, you get the benefit of being able to use a transparent, right, and public forum to resolve your dispute and, in fact, to seek remedies for violations of your rights, whether it's civil rights or consumer or employment or environmental or antitrust. Uh, or breach of contract, all kinds of rights. And the system is designed to allow you to collect evidence. It's, a, it's quite amazing, right? When it works is that you have, you know, you file your complaint and you have access to discovery, right? That's the time period during the litigation where you're able to force the other side to turn over evidence uh, that is critical to your case. Um, and they're able to do the same, right? So both of the parties get access to evidence. Um, in an ideal world, you have access to a jury where you have a jury of your own peers who are deciding that case. Now, unfortunately, we know that there are very few cases that actually make it to the jury trial. Um, most of them are settling. Maybe one, two percent are making it to the jury. Um, many of those are getting um, resolved in, in forum that are actually not public, right? And so I think one of the benefits of the court system is you have this public forum it's transparent. It creates uh, what we call precedent, right? So that the judge is required to follow the law, the jury's required to follow the law, and we have a blueprint for other cases that come later, right? In terms of uh, what does that look like, right? Um, and then the appellate process. So there are many checks and balances in the civil litigation system itself. So if you don't get an outcome that you don't like or you don't think is fair, we have different ways of making sure that um, that that gets that gets corrected, right? So that there's a whole appeals process that goes along with it. So so the system itself um, is designed so that you have 
you know, you have robust exploration of the underlying evidence and the goal, not that it's not that it's always achieved, but the goal in civil litigation is, uh, you know, hopefully, right, to get to the bottom of whatever the issue is and to resolve that issue between the parties and sometimes to go even further, right? Like an individual will resolve their dispute. But in addition to that, they can seek relief that is going to have systemic and uh, systemic change, right? Societal change. If we think an environmental case, um, you know, I could get wide ranging injunctive relief to stop polluting from taking place in my neighborhood. Um, I could seek injunctive relief for policy that is unfair, not only to myself, but to many of my colleagues at work. And so it has the power of not only resolving my dispute, but, uh, but others, right? And also, sort of setting and maybe articulating some of the values of our society, right? And 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 giving voice to those values. So I, I think it's an important piece of the puzzle. And there are components of the civil litigation system that are designed to, um, to see you get to a just outcome. You've talked a little bit about the desegregation efforts of the 1950s and civil rights litigation in the 1960s. Has the efficacy of the civil litigation system for enforcing civil rights changed over the years? Yes, it has. Unfortunately, um, it has changed in a way that I would I would I would uh, characterize as obstructionist. Um, if we look at some of the cases that have come out of the Supreme Court, pretty much like certainly the last twenty five years and maybe maybe even the last fifty years, uh, it has become more difficult to get access to the court system. We talked about the importance of being able to have that access and the right to have access under the constitution. And I think that access piece has in many ways become uh, politicized, um, uh, uh, compromised, um, even commodified really. And so the court, while it can be difficult to, it can be difficult to identify and, 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 and to fight because that obstructionism, it has not been, it, it has uh, not been uniform. Um, it has not been absolute, but it has been very strong. And I can, I can give you some examples as to how it is that access piece has really become compromised. Um, so for example, uh, an area, just getting your foot into the courthouse door, right? What we call pleadings, right? I have my complaint, the defendant has their answer. We get to come into, uh, into the, into the, court and be able to use this, the, the, the litigation system, it's become harder to do that because the Supreme Court has um, had two uh, very important cases. Um, I'm just, they're called Twombly and Iqbal <laughs> um, for, for those of you who are, are interested. But those two cases have made it harder for people to get access to the courts. They're saying you need more factual information uh, in, before, before you can enter the court system, right? And that uh, it's easier for my case to get dismissed at the very beginning and for me never to be able to get to that discovery piece where I get to prove, I get evidence that I can show I have a meritorious case if you just let me proceed and get to the merits. But unfortunately, that that bar has been elevated and made it much more uh, difficult, especially for those, let's say, if I, if I give you a civil rights example, um, I'm somebody who thinks, there's been intentional discrimination at my work site. 
And most of the time, I'm not going to have a smoking gun. I'm not going to have somebody who's not going to confess. So I won't be able to get the information I need to show that I have a plausible claim until I get into that discovery process we were talking about. But I can't do it because the court's saying I need more factual information. So it's shutting down um, that capacity to even move forward, right? Uh, that's difficult. Um, another difficulty is the, uh, let's say, I want to band together and bring a case together as a class action. So as somebody who maybe doesn't have a lot of money, um, people have small claims or poor claimants, um, may not be able to afford a lawyer. So they're going to pool their resources together to afford a lawyer to challenge systemic discrimination that might be going on. And so there's certainly strength in numbers, right? And being able to bring this case, one big case, right, in, in many ways is more efficient too, rather than each one of us has to bring our own individual case one after another. We bring it as one big case and we seek systemic relief for some kind of wrongdoing. And that was going on in the 1960s during the civil rights movement. That was critical, right, to the um, to 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 all kinds of rights in terms of like challenging uh, systemic discrimination, whether it's desegregation, you know, segregation, voting, and housing, and employment, and prisoners' rights. I mean, that was that was a very important tool, and unfortunately, that tool in in large measure is harder to use, and that has been dismantled because the Supreme Court came out with a, a case called Walmart, that's a, a Walmart v. Dukes. And it was um, historical, 1.6 million women, <laughs> a lot of huge case, uh, admittedly, um, who were challenging employment discrimination. Um, they were alleging discrimination at Walmart and wanted to bring their case together because of all the benefits that you get from that collective action. And there again, the Supreme Court said no, made it more difficult for people to come together uh, and and bring a lawsuit, right? And support one another. So you have to go at it alone. Uh, and that that's hard to see because we do know that that was a very effective tool. Uh, and then I, I raised um, sort of another sort of related thing uh, is a lot of times you're not even allowed to pursue a class action at all if you have signed an arbitration agreement that says that's not allowed. So, um, we see arbitration agreements or agreements that say um, uh, you're not allowed to go to court, right? All of those procedural protections, you're not allowed to go to court. You have to go to a private arbitrator to resolve your disputes. Um, that's an alternative private forum um, that doesn't have the same procedural protections. And yet many of us, maybe I guess all of us really are signing these agreements um, because Anytime you want to do anything, like you want a job, you want a bank loan, you want a credit card, you want an app, uh, a cell phone, you name it, it says, oh, okay, you have to sign this agreement. And usually in that contract is an arbitration clause. And it says you agree to give up your right to go to court if a dispute comes up in the future. So we've all kind of, we've all signed these. Um, have we consented to them? Right? Do we even know what they mean? What they say? Probably not. Most people, you know, you want the app done, right? You're not going to read, and you can't. You don't have a right to dispute that. So we're sort of stuck. And those arbitration agreements put you in a form that doesn't give you the same procedural protections and transparency that the public system does. Um, and 
many times will not even let you bring your case together as a class action will in fact forbid it. So I think, uh, so I think that's also a problem Then the Supreme court is, um, has, 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 uh, often, um, enforced arbitration agreements that really do not, um, give you consent, do not, you know, provide for consent, meaningful consent, um, to those arrangements. And so I think we're giving up those rights. And I think we want to think really, really long and hard about whether or not that's a good idea. So, um, so those, so, so there definitely been some changes over time. Um, and I, statutes of limitations are, are also a change where the courts, I think, could exercise their powers in ways that enable cases with merit, potential merit to go forward, but because of statute of limitations, cut them off prematurely. Um, and I'm happy to give you an example of that if you'd like. So. <laughs> well, let me ask, let me ask this question. You mentioned that these changes are born of a politicization of the use mm. of civil litigation to enforce civil rights, but should the use of civil litigation to enforce civil rights be a partisan issue? You know, that's a great question. I don't think so. I don't think I, it doesn't have to be. I, I, I think it's very unfortunate that that is the case, but we all need we all need the court system, right? We all need to, to access the court system. And, you know, if, you know, all of our rights, we're all entitled to have our substantive rights um, enforced and to have our meaningful day in court under the constitution. And it affects everyone, right? So sort of no matter what your political party uh, persuasion might be, your background, your belief system, um, if you end up needing support, right, and you find your rights have been violated, you want to be able to have access to the courts and be heard on the merits. So unfortunately, I don't think it should it, it should not be political. It is. Um, I think that there's a there's there's a good example. Uh, this is really a, an exceptional situation where it's a very rare uh, bipartisan effort that occurred last year. This is the uh, Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Claims Act of 2021. And that was one of them. That was, I didn't see that coming because it was a bipartisan, truly bipartisan effort on both sides to say, if you are a victim of sexual assault or sexual harassment, then you are not subjected to one of these mandatory arbitration agreements. You're not going to be forced to go into arbitration and give up your right to go to court and all of the procedural protections that come with it. Um, and so that is a welcome change. And I think that that's a great start. And what I would hope is that Congress, again, would function in a bipartisan way to recognize that people are not only brutalized uh, because of gender, but also because of race, because of religion, because of sexual orientation, that everyone deserves that protection, right? And everyone should have that court access and not be forced to go into a form that they did not choose, maybe know nothing about, doesn't have the same sort of pro procedural protections. Um, so not just discrimination claims, but also um, uh, uh, wage theft, um, you know, exploitative practices that occur for uh, low income workers, things of that nature. So if it's good enough, if we can have it for this population, then it should be good enough for everyone, right? So I really do think it's time to equalize the playing field across the board and say, we are all entitled 
to due process, right? And this is what due process looks like. And we don't get to cherry pick which population is more worthy than the other um, to have procedural protections in the court system. Uh, so, so, so I would like to see that. I would like to see that kind of evolution continue. In addition to arbitration, how else should the civil litigation be reformed to help advance civil rights? Um, so I think there, I, I think there are a lot of different ways you could go. Um, I think education is important. Um, so one of the things I would like us to think about, and this starts from, let's say, at law school, right? I mean, as a professor, um, teaching students about, when you teach students about the civil litigation system, that you teach them not only the rules, but you also teach them what are the underlying rationales for those rules? What are the values that undergird the rules? What are the policies that they're trying to promote? How did those rules come about? Who made them and why? And do they disparately impact certain vulnerable populations? Uh, so as to that effect, um, you will see in the background my book. <laughs> so it is a book that I have co-edited with a bunch of wonderful authors. And there are in that book 40 different scholars from all over the country who tell stories and they tell they give illustrations of how it is all of these things that we think are neutral practices it's just procedure it's not substantive how those things uh disparately impact different vulnerable groups and populations right and so it gives the backstory and there's always a backstory but it gives the backstory that i think would help inform students in terms of what's um you know what's important about procedure? Why does it matter? And who does it impact? And making sure that more diverse voices are in that conversation um, and understanding, you know, really are these, are they neutral, right? Are they functioning in a neutral way? And if not, what can we do about that? Should we be making some changes? So, so I definitely, um, I think education is a piece. Um, I mentioned diversity, diversifying, I think diversifying the rule makers themselves, right? We know that we have a committee at the advisory committee, the civil advisory committee, and the rule makers, um, you know, the judicial conference is selected by the chief justice of the United States Supreme Court, um, academics, scholars, judges, and so forth. And uh, making sure that that is reflecting back um, a diverse population. Uh, at this point, the, the, the Article Three judges that are on the advisory committee have largely predominantly been Republican appointees, uh, largely been white men. So making sure that we have different voices that are actually drafting those rules would be important and diversifying the bench, right? The people who interpret the rules, uh, making sure that you have um, a good a good representation of all of us who make up society. Uh, and then finally, I would I, I would propose uh, legislation. And I uh, just finished an article that is promoting a new Civil Rights Act um, from a procedural vantage point. Right. And so it's sort of saying to Congress, we need to address some of these things. We need to get back to a pleading standard um, that gives people the power to enter the court system, gives them a shot, uh, a fair shake at, at um, proving their case. And um, and that that the judges themselves should consider instead of dismissing a case outright because it doesn't look like on its face it's plausible, 
give them a little discovery to sort of figure out whether or not their intentional uh, discrimination case is plausible, right? So that they can proceed. So looking for that kind of creativity, um, looking for changes in the class certification uh, criteria. Um, as I mentioned before, you could extend the, um, the ending force arbitration of sexual assault and sexual harassment claims to include all kinds of other claims and claimants that I think are worthy of the same types of protections. So it certainly has got to be kind of a multi-pronged strategy. Um, many different actors, many different stakeholders could weigh in to make our civil court system really function better for everyone. Well, Suzette, thanks so much for being on the show and for telling us how civil litigation can advance civil rights. Thanks so much, Scott. It's a pleasure. This episode was produced by the Center for Litigation and Courts at UC Hastings College of the Law. If you enjoyed this episode of Litigation Briefs, I hope you'll tune in to future episodes. In fact, I hope you'll consider subscribing to our YouTube channel and audio podcast, which can be accessed through the Center for Litigation and Courts website at sites.ucastings.edu slash CLC. While you're at it, encourage a friend to do the same. This is Litigation Briefs, respectfully submitted, Scott Dodson.